It's time again for Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys, three generations, and three hot takes. The triple threat includes baby boomer Ted Patel of Z92.5 The Castle, our Gen Xer is Matt Burns of ESPN, and the SEC Network out of Charlotte, North Carolina. The millennial man is Jared Patel of Valley Sports Detroit. Comments and questions can be sent by email to threepointpod at gmail.com. Follow Three Point Podcast on social media at Three Point Pod. The fellows will get it rolling right after this from our partners. Advanced Elevator Company have the very best trained professional field technicians and project management team for installations, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators in the entire Midwest. Centrally located with world headquarters in the heart of Owasso, Michigan, the Jankas are longtime huge supporters of the Corona Public Schools and might I add, just local legends in general, Advanced Elevator Company, area business leaders, and a longtime member of the Shiawassee Regional Chamber of Commerce. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to episode 183 of the Three Point Podcast. I'm Ted Fattel of Z92.5 in Sportsnet, Michigan, with ESPN's Matt Burns on the phone from North Carolina, and also on the phone, Jared Fattel of Bally Sports Detroit. Michigan and Michigan State move to 2-0, while Ohio State loses, yay. Lions lose a game and Akuda, and we'll hit those topics along with a little entertainment. But first, I want to tell you who's on our team. They include Advanced Elevator, the ALS Association, JJ's Excavating and Tree Services, Kendall Drugs, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Homes, Sheridan Auction Service, Success Group Mortgage and Servicing, and Z92.5 the castle well like what we do every time we put one of these pods together we start off with a little catch up let me start this one off fellas i mean since we last recorded uh we were we were promoing promoing our local high school game really our game of the year we always have and the corona cavaliers our alma mater down to Wasso, 49 to 6. Uh, the big controversy going to that one was, you know, uh, Owasso had 11 players on COVID protocol. They were quarantined, but ironically enough, they were all ready to play on Friday night. And uh, Corona really put an impressive performance out on the field. It sounds like, at least from, you know, from afar, from where I'm at, because I did tune in, I listened to you and Bartman, you know, in mm-hmm. and out. I didn't listen to the whole game. Sure. But it sounds like, Maybe Owasso kind of came out hot, maybe with everything that went on, you know, through the week, not knowing who was going to play. And it was a close game there for a bit, but then I guess Corona just kind of like took over and ran away with it. Is that kind of what it was? Pretty much it in a nutshell, right there. I mean, the first score of the game was Owasso. That was their only six points. And, you know, it was scored by a freshman running back. So he probably wouldn't have been on the roster, but uh, got him on the board. The crowd was electric. And that's the other thing, you know, we've talked about now that we're 
you know, somewhat past the COVID thing with fans being back allowed into the stadiums. It was a jam-packed house, just like the good old days. I mean, they were lined up around the fences. The, the visiting stands completely jammed with Cavalier fans. The Owasso side completely jammed. It was a great atmosphere, but uh, Crona's I, I think Crona's talent definitely uh, showed. And, you know, the Bauer kids, you know, they're coming from that heralded sophomore class. They didn't disappoint. They can play. Yeah, I mean, Wilman Field on a Friday night, I'm not sure if there's a better high school field just in the entire state. I can't imagine what that place would be like if that team ever is, you know, playoff contender or state title contender. Uh, but that job, I mean, uh, Rich Rod was the guy who always says it takes four years to really turn around a program. But with Owasso, I mean, man, they've been losing for so long. That might be like an eight-year project and whoever can finally maybe it is this current coach whoever can finally turn around that program i mean they should be inducted into the michigan high school hall of fame like <laughs> tomorrow if that ever does happen well ted ted definitely remembers i mean they had some good teams through the 90s and then my junior year they made the playoffs and then my senior year they ended up not making the playoffs i'm pretty sure they were five and four so you know sniffing the playoffs but yeah i know what you mean i mean i don't know all the details but obviously They've seemed to kind of fall off a little bit, but they definitely had, you know, some good teams through the 90s and early 2000s. But, but you're right. I mean, I only remember our games. I went to a few Owasso games. I went to the playoff game. They hosted a playoff game that, that year, my junior year. And, yeah, I mean, it's just packed, you know, three, four deep around the fence. Like, nowhere, you can't find a seat in either the visiting or the home grandstands. I mean, it, it is. I mean, maybe we're a little biased, but I, I would put it up against maybe – you know, where Muskegon, where the big red play, but right. I would put it up against almost any, any field in the state. It is so cool. Yeah, it was built really at the same time. I think the, the stands were in Muskegon. Uh, there's also a stadium in Port Huron, and Cadillac ha- also has a stadium. You know, it's a concrete structure built during the Depression. It was uh, Franklin Roosevelt's uh, plan to get people working. I think it was called the WPA plan. Uh, but Owasso had a big decision to make uh, about five or six years ago on – Wilman Field itself, you know, they talked about maybe putting a new football field at the at the Wasso High School campus, but uh, the heads prevailed, you know, smarter heads prevailed, and they refurbished the stadium, and I mean, it's a classic spot to go watch a football game, and what's unique about it, what's really neat, not only is it old, but there's no track, so the fans are right on top of the action, which is also very cool. No, I, I remember a couple times my my senior year we we whooped up on them, so I'll, I'll be proud to say that. But uh, a couple times, like almost you almost run into the fence. Yeah, like if you're running through, you know, like as a receiver, like running running routes into the end zone. I mean, if you're not like keeping your head on a swivel, you do almost run into the fence. It's super cool. But yeah, like right there, you know, like right around along the river and in the neighborhood, so you know people can just like tailgate in their yards and yep. walk over to the field. No, it's super cool. So I'm glad. I, I guess maybe I forgot about that, that they were maybe thinking of building a new field. But I feel like that would have been like what you talk about, like with Tiger Stadium yes. and then Comerica Park. Like if they, they probably would have built a cool stadium, but there's no way it would have ever compared to Wilman Field. No. Yeah, I would think oh, they'd if, have bigger if they, bigger. If they ever turf that, I mean, it's going to be hosting a quarterfinal and a semifinal game every single year, whether it's Owasso playing in that game or not. I mean, it's that cool of a field. Here's kind of an off-the-wall question, but I got to thinking about it when Ted was saying that the stands are full. Where are, we, where are you guys at? And, Matt, it might be different where you're living. Are you guys, like, 100% back wearing masks all the time, or are you still not wearing masks in stores? I'm not sure which way I should be right now. I'm, I'm leaning towards I normally don't. If the store has a sign in the window that says wear a mask, 
I put mine on. I, I have mine hanging around my neck, so I, I put it on when I need to. I don't feel like I have to, but it's funny you bring it up because I, I was in Chicago this week. I'll tell you a little bit more about that, but I was at a trade show, and you had to mask up. Everybody in this trade show, giant convention center, McCormick Place, you know, everybody was back to the mask, so that, that's my comment. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're back to required having to wear them at, at work. Um, so I got you, you know, I'm kind of used to wearing them at work. I think, you know, down here in Charlotte, the, the county, it is required. Like, but I think a lot of stores are kind of, they're not stressing it as much as they were, you know, last summer. So we, we wear them. I mean, we kind of do our part. My daughter has to wear them in school. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that's all, all year she's going to have to wear them at school. So I'm just kind of used to it. But definitely, like, if we, if we go somewhere and they say you don't have to, it's, it's very hard to put it on if they say you don't have to wear it. I know. Where are you at, Jared? Yeah, that's the thing is, I guess my the way I look at it is, I don't want to be the one idiot wearing a mask when no one else is wearing a mask, but I also don't want to be <laughs> the one idiot not wearing a mask when everyone uh, when everyone else is wearing a mask. And it seems like this last month, I'm I've been in the idiot situation every <laughs> single time, and I just can't quite figure out the times that people are wearing them compared to the when they're not wearing them. So you're just, uh, just wrong every time. So you're just a constant idiot, whether you have the mask on or not, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, so it's kind of like when we record this podcast. Yeah, I can tell he's wearing it right now. <laughs> no, just he, he's right. He's a constant idiot. He's a constant idiot. That too. <laughs> hey, what is? The- I won't say I was an idiot. We had uh, this is going forward a little bit in the pod. I know we're going to talk about the Lions in a sec, but <laughs> I'll put my hand up. Uh, I fell asleep and took a nap and totally missed the entire game and missed our post-game uh, recap video. So I felt like an idiot after that as well. I felt like I woke up in the middle of like a time machine. I fast-forwarded five hours, <laughs> and Matt had texted me about an hour ago uh, to send my video, and I just felt horrible about that. Well, it just gave me a chance to have two videos posted. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that, that definitely was the classic. It was the perfect Lions game to take that nap from like oh, yes. first quarter into like the mid-third quarter because the fourth quarter was actually exciting. Yeah, I know we'll talk about it again later, but you know, usually Lions games or even Tigers games, you can catch that that mid game nap. Yours yours just kind of carried over post game. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, but I'll raise my hand. Uh, I'm pretty typical on that, and it's usually I make it through the first half. Halftime starts, I start closing my eyes a little bit, and then I wake up usually about midway through the third quarter, and that was that was what happened Sunday. <laughs> yep. Hey, before we move on, we will definitely talk about the Lions. I had one more comment about catching up. Uh, you know, I was in Chicago this week, like I said, stayed downtown. Actually, we weren't far, we were not far away from the Navy Pier. And I got to give Jared some credit here. My wife and I took a little stroll uh, on Tuesday evening down to the pier. And Jared's 100% right. That place is a pretty boring mess. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing exciting about it at all, you know. And I, I, I'm, I'll get. <laughs> you know, something is boring when, as like, a, I think I went to Chicago when I was like seven or eight or something. When as a seven or eight year old, you're bored of a place after about five minutes. Yeah, that's when you know because when you're that young, freaking fly on the wall will entertain you for hours. <laughs> and Navy Pier, this whole circus, this big, you know, tourist <laughs> trap. I was bored after about five minutes there. 
Yeah, I saw our, our former guest a couple weeks ago, uh, Lauren Withrow. I was thinking about her when we were down at the pier, and I saw she posted today a picture of herself and her dog at their favorite spot, Navy Pier. I was going to post something, but I thought, no, I'll talk about it instead. Uh, it's not a bad spot, really, to go for a stroll if that's what you're into, you know, because you're right on Lake Michigan. You can see the boats. That's cool. Uh, and it's a perfect spot to take a dog for a walk. But other than that, there's not much entertainment value for me. Well, I feel like that's what she said, right? Like yeah. that, that's the main reason because yep. she would take her dog there all the time. But, but yeah, I, I don't think that's like the main tourist attraction for Chicago. But you do hear people talk about it a lot. Oh, yeah. So how about you guys? What have you been up to in the last week? Working. <laughs> College football and, you know, everything else is going. So, yeah, just a lot of work lately. But it, it's fun because, you know, I mean, we're deep into football already. NBA's coming back. So I know Jared, high school football and obviously the Tigers. So. Well, we're, everything's going right now. Awesome. Well, we're going to get into that before we move into football talk heavy. Uh, I know you did have a little outing with your daughter today at school, right? I did, yeah. So today, um, they, I, I don't know if it was something that they do usually throughout the year, but for the first three or four weeks of this year, they've had volunteers go to my daughter's school for different things. You can help out in the classroom or, you know, after school do a couple things, but they have volunteers help the kids out during lunch. Because, you know, kindergartners, they're, they're figuring out this whole having school lunch thing. So it kind of worked out with my work schedule today that I was able to step away and go help out the kids at lunch. And I didn't tell her I was going. Mm-hmm. She was, like, super surprised when she saw me at school. You know, I helped them, like, get their tray and get their silverware. And then we had to go, like, it's just funny to think about because, you know, you almost forget what it was like when you're a kindergartner. But I had to help them all, like, open their milk cartons. <laughs> like, we all remember when you would try and open those paper milk cartons. And you get the wrong end. just, like, fold up. So, like, I was having flashbacks of that. Like, all these kids would be like, can you help me open my milk? <laughs> um, helping them open up, like, their yogurts and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, it was fun to just see the kids, like, in that environment, seeing her interacting with other kids and, you know, just, just kind of a cool thing to do as a parent. That milk is, I'm convinced that it might be poison. I, I just remember, <laughs> I used to, all I used to drink when I was a kid was I used to drink, like, milk right out of a gallon. Uh shameful enough to admit that but it, it, at school i wouldn't even touch it and it and that was crazy because chocolate milk was like gold, liquid gold uh to me when i was a kid but matt sounds like you kind of made a big time mistake uh you didn't bring mcdonald's is there anything for your daughter i mean that was the best part when i was a kid when my mom or my dad would come visit me at lunch they always brought like a happy meal for me and it sounds like you basically forced your daughter to drink that poison <laughs> i did think about that like i'm coming i should i should pick her up something fun to eat, but I, I'm pretty sure they're not, like right now, they're not allowing outside food to come in like that, so I didn't I didn't want to mess with that, but no, I, I definitely agree, like if you went for a doctor's appointment, or you know, you did something like that, and your parents brought you a Happy Meal, you were like the king of the school, like you had, you were the one with McDonald's at lunch, it was the coolest thing, <laughs> but no, no McDonald's. Ah, uh, the good old days, well, speaking of the good old days, Michigan with a big win. Michigan State with a big win. Well, not as big, but a win. They'll take it. We'll talk some college football here right after this from our friends. Kendall Drugs in Corona are there for you. They take special care of all patients because they could be your mother, father, sibling, 
aunt, uncle, niece, or nephew standing at the counter. Centrally located in the heart of Shiawassee County, right across from the courthouse. No insurance, no problem. Come on in and talk with Patrick Kendall, and he'll be happy to work with you and is very competitive on prices with no gouging. Now taking new patients and prescription transfers. Stop in Monday through Friday from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Kendall Drugs in Corona, or give them a call at 989-720-4295. Success Group Mortgage and Servicing is Shiawassee County's only licensed mortgage broker, lender, and servicer. That means you get exclusive products not found anywhere else. If you are looking to purchase a home or refinance a home in Florida, Hawaii, or Michigan, stop what you're doing and give Success Group Mortgage and Servicing a call. 989-720-4380. That's 989-720-4380. All right, guys, uh, you know, I was going to talk to you about this on, uh, Matt, some of your things you do with your family you put on social media, and you know, which is great because your, your family that lives out of state can stay up to date. Uh, I don't know what you guys think. Michigan, you know, 31 to 10 over Washington, 108,000 fans in the big house, and they let's just say they established a run game, but how many people are out of their minds saying, oh, my God, the, the world's going to end. Cade McNamara threw for 50 yards, and, you know, they didn't throw the ball. They're going to have to throw the ball to beat the better teams. What are your guys' thought on thoughts on that? Listen, Ted, you're falling right into the trap. One, Washington, <laughs> have you guys ever seen a worse Power 5 team? I'm not just saying that because, you know, they lost to Montana week one, but they were, like, Michigan's passing problem, they were that times 10, and they also didn't have a running game. They, they were horrible. Uh, so we just got to throw that out right on the table. They, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make a bowl game this year, if they, they're hovering around right five, five or six wins. But in terms of the McNamara thing, it wasn't, necessar- it wasn't like week one against Western where we just flat out didn't need to. And, yeah, I guess we didn't necessarily need to against Washington either. But it was like we didn't have the option. And so we just kind of lucked out that Washington could not stop the run. And so we didn't need to throw. But if you're telling me that you're confident in McNamara on a third and ten making a throw, you're crazy. I mean, maybe you've already hit the age where you're kind of already walking around as a crazy person where your brain isn't quite functioning the same. (laughs) But are you freaking serious? You're taking the the angle that McNamara, like this this isn't a McNamara problem. This is just flat out we didn't need to throw the ball. You're crazy. All right. Well, I set you up for that. Matt, hold your thought for a minute since he's directing (laughs) this at me. I'll just tell you right flat out. They ran the ball right up their ass. They got the W by 21 points. They'll work on passing in practice. McNamara, I am confident that he can do the job. I don't think you have to show every multifacet of your offense every game. Jim Harbaugh's job is to win, and he won against a team, it would, you know, who knew Who knew? coming into that game? Yeah, they, they had a terrible first-week loss, but we all thought Washington could be dangerous. You know what? Michigan shoved it right down their throat, and I'm happy as hell. Yeah, yeah and I, I think I'm not one of those. I, I wasn't one of those that you were talking about on social media, like going crazy, like, oh, my God, yeah, they won, but they looked, just couldn't throw the ball. You know, like the people that were extreme. I will admit I was a little, I don't know, like concerned or kind of like what Jared's talking about, a little bit like, Man, those few times that it was third and eight or, you know, third and seven, McNamara didn't look very comfortable. So I, I was definitely thinking that, like, yes, this run game is awesome. I've talked about I, I wish for the days 
of Bianca Batuka and Chris Perry carrying 50 times against Michigan State and, you know, Mike Hart just carrying the load for four years, basically. I long for those days of having Michigan having a dominant run game, so that was awesome to see. That being said, it would be nice to see a little more out of the passing game, but I have come down a little bit, kind of what you're saying, Ted. Like, they knew, and Jim Harbaugh said this after the game, they knew what they had to do to win. They knew that they could win that game just by running 55 times or whatever they did. So that's what they did to win. And, you know, with where Michigan is right now, you should take that as a fan because if they would have tried to pass, you know, try and throw it 25, 30 times, who knows, maybe maybe they lose that game. Because actually, like, Washington might be down a little, but the defense is pretty good. And people have talked about two, three of their corners are probably going to be playing in the NFL in the next year or two. So I think Washington's defense is pretty good. Yeah, the offense is bad. So I've come down. I'm cool with how they won the game. Here, here I guess my problem or why I was scared with McNamara is, and it was I was screaming at my TV, which I'm not a screamer at the TV, but those <laughs> first like three or four drives, he had like four or five different plays where it, he would go through his progression and then he would still be like holding the ball. And he just wouldn't get rid of it. And he would either get sacked or he would get hit as he threw. And when I see that, that shows somebody who is just flat out indecisive. And, I mean, listen, I'm not saying we should go to McCarthy. I'm not ready to pull the plug on this guy yet. But don't be surprised when in the biggest game of our season, like maybe Michigan State or something like that, in a critical situation, we're just going to be unable to throw the ball. And we're not going to be able to just run it down these teams' throats uh, all year. I know you guys seem to think we will just because we did it against two terrible teams. But that's not how you win. That's not how you win against Penn State. It's not how you win against Wisconsin. Like, that's trying to beat Wisconsin at their own game. We're going to have to air it out against Wisconsin in a few weeks. So yeah. Just know that I said it now that this is a huge, glaring issue. And just because Jim Harbaugh has some dumb quote about, you know, doing it through the air or doing it on the ground, you can't just sweep it under the rug that we literally, in the year 2021, cannot throw the ball. We don't have wide receivers, and we don't have a quarterback. Wow. That's a that's very strong statement by the young buck. You know, look – I think we're just taking that, or at least you are. I think you're taking it a little too far. Does McNamara have some improvement that he needs to make? Yes, he does. I agree with that. But you think? do you think Jim Harbaugh every single game is going to ch- try to jam the ball down the other team? you got to really, realistically, unless you have Peyton Manning at quarterback or one of these elite QBs, you got to establish some kind of ground game to enable your quarterback to hit some routes, you know? I mean, you just can't go to the air all the time. I agree with you that your quarterback has to make the big throws when it's third down. It's funny that, you know, and we'll talk about Monday Night Football and Peyton Manning. He had one of the best comments in that game, and he had a lot of them, was, uh, you know, when you're a quarterback, you want to have first down, second down, first down. You don't want to see a lot of third downs, right? You agree with that? Jared, you were a former quarterback. Oh, yeah, and listen, as as a guy who was a former quarterback, I know when somebody's out there seeing ghosts, and Cade McNamara was seeing ghosts. Um, But to bury the lead and maybe forget about the downside of what was ultimately a great win for Michigan, I mean, Blake Corum. Yes. I I could talk about this guy for an hour. I love him. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. He is the type of guy who, if I was a kid, I would already have his jersey. I'd already have the number two Blake Corum jersey. Something about the little, small, little, like, scat running backs that it's just you can't take your eyes off the screen. And I said it in my instant reaction video. I mean, Michigan, this team is boring. And we had Ronnie Bell and we had Corum as the two kind of electric factory-type players. 
And thank goodness Corum is pulling through because without him, I mean, this team would be basically unwatchable because he you can't take your eyes off the screen when he's playing, uh, but when he's off the field, it, you're about to fall asleep just like I did during the Lions game. I mean, I think you're I think you're selling Hassan Haskins a little short. He rushed for like 155 yards also. 155. He maybe, yeah, he, he's just maybe not as, you know, I don't know, exciting as Corum when you watch Corum run. But I think one thing is that that is true. He, he wanted to establish the run. He thought that was going to be the strength of the offense, and they're going to go through the run. I mean, maybe we didn't think it'd be like this much going through the run, but when you, you said it either last week or the week before, Jared, when you have a player like Blake Corum, who when you watch him play, he seems like the type of running back we haven't seen maybe since Mike Hart, you know, with Michigan, the type of running back that like you need if you want to beat Wisconsin, Ohio State. You got players like that, and if Hassan Haskins is kind of like your backup running back, I'm starting to lean towards I'm cool with them being very run-heavy. But, like, yes, at some point you do need to pass, and that's where I'm kind of at, like, so when you do need to pass, I would want McNamara to be comfortable, whereas, like, at, at, against Washington, those times that he needed to pass, he did not look comfortable at all. So hopefully they got Northern Illinois and then Rutgers before Wisconsin. Hopefully these next two weeks they can pass a little bit, get a little bit of rhythm through the pass game. It's all cool, you know, rush for 300 yards. We all love that. But, like like you said, Jared, you, you do need to – he needs to get comfortable with his receivers, especially um, with Ronnie Bell out now. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've been a little bit too hard on McNamara. I, can I just say this in general? I love this new, like, Jim Harbaugh throwback, like, Stanford-type team. It reminds me of the very first year that Harbaugh came, and we were just cramming it down everybody's throat that year. I love that type of football. Uh, it's just, you know, to bring it full circle, it just seems like the flat-out inability to throw the ball is really going to come back to haunt us. Uh, it's, just, it's not going to haunt us maybe this week. It's not going to haunt us the week after. Maybe not even against Wisconsin. But at some point this year, there's going to be a situation where, or a game where we're not going to be able to just run it down everybody's throat, and we're going to have to be a 50-50 type team, and I don't think McNamara has that capabilities. Okay, so you're already counting him out. Basically, right? You're calling. You're saying it here on this three-point podcast. We're recording on September fifteenth because they ran the ball because McNamara didn't look comfortable in this one game, which we've already established that Washington's defense isn't that bad, especially on pass coverage. You're just you're just out, and you you know you. you I'm not totally out. He's like he's on the hot seat. Like I said, I'm not going to pull him. You know, I'm, there's, if there was somebody waiting in the wings, I would definitely be a lot more ready to pull him after that game. But I'm just saying, he's on the hot seat. And if, and if we see this type of output versus, you know, a Nebraska or something before that Wisconsin game, I don't hate giving the keys to McCarthy and seeing what he can do with it. Yeah, and I'm not against that either if it comes down to that. I, I'm not going to give up faith on McNamara at this point yet. And I guess it's just the old old geezer in me, as we'll say. If I see Michigan go out and impressively pound on a team, I'm totally satisfied. I'm not worried about <laughs> stuff they have to do. Give me 2-0. and Give me run the ball down their throats. I'll take it till next week. You know, If you win 10-9, to I'll take that. Man, we've had some suffering in our last 10 15 years with this Wolverine teams we've had ups but not enough of them and it's just good to see them playing Michigan football and you're right it's good to see Harbaugh apparently back I mean I, I it seems that way anyway we're two weeks in and it seems like the the moves they made on the coaching staff are looking like they're paying off too so 
It is, it is looking good, and, and speaking of a coaching staff that's looking good in a team, I mean, Michigan State, like we, we've kind of been saying it, it seems like Mel Tucker's got this team moving in the right direction. They whooped up on Youngstown State last week. They go down to Miami this week to play the Hurricanes. Miami's looked a little iffy. I don't know, is this going to be one of your locks of the week, Jared? Are you, are you putting all your money on Michigan State to go get that big road win, or is Miami going to give Tucker his first loss of the season? I don't know how you don't you don't uh, hammer Michigan State this week. I mean, I mean, they're both these teams. They're still. I mean, you can't judge Miami off of losing to Alabama. Ninety-nine point nine percent of the teams in college football would lose to, to Alabama by forty. I think that, that the fact that Michigan State really hasn't played a really really good team yet is going to hurt them in the first half. So I, I think the bet that I would make and the way I'm leaning toward it with this game is. Miami first half, Michigan State total. That's the way I look at it. I think Miami's going to maybe jump them out of the gates, and then over time, Kenneth Walker and that rushing attack is going to slowly wear on them uh, in the second half. And I, I think Michigan State's going to get the win. I really do. Ooh. So, so is that your pick of the week? Or you got anything else you want to throw out there while we're talking uh, college football? That, no, I, I'm not going to lie. That is my favorite pick of the week. And it's about three. It's two different picks. I like Miami first half, and mm-hmm. then I'm loving Michigan State for both covering the spread and money line. Give me both of them. All right. Well, go back to also, guys, you know, my comment about social media. And listen, we're into social media. I mean, I, I look at Twitter all the time. I, on my phone, I'm looking at Twitter and Facebook, Twitter and Facebook, and I'll post, I'll, re, I'll retweet stuff. Uh, but people get really carried away with it. And I guess it's kind of an, it's kind of an entertaining thing, you know, but it, it is a, also a little annoying. I mean, you know, I was fired up because Michigan State said, yeah, we got Youngstown State, but you know what? We're going to send a message right now, and they open up the game with a flea flicker. I thought, that's cool. And then I see the other side of the coin, which I get. Oh, why are you showing a flea flicker against a, a team like Youngstown? I mean, you can't win, can you, in social media? Uh-huh. People are either going to like it or they're going to hate it. Yeah, it's exciting to do a play like that. Cool to show it. But then, yeah, people are going to hate it and say, no, you're showing your hand. Or, you know, kind of like what we're talking about with Michigan. All they did was run, so now, like, you don't know if McNamara can pass or anything. So, yeah, social media. I mean, there's always going to people on. There's, there's going to be people on both sides of the coin. I thought it was cool. Open up the I game with too. a flea flicker because now, like you know, going into Miami, Miami coaching staff has to think like, oh, they did this flea flicker. You know, they might pull that out at some point. But no, I, I think Michigan State. Like, I'll, I'll be very, very curious to see this game because Miami has looked a little iffy. Yeah, they got beat by Alabama, but like you said, Jared, basically everyone else in the whole country would. So, like, is Miami, you know, are they a little overranked because they're still top 25? Is Michigan State, you know, with Walker at running back, is he going to take the game over? Like, this, this game could be, like, super, super interesting to watch. What do you guys think? Are you watching, like, if you were on had one TV and you had the clicker, are you watching Michigan State and Miami at primary game, or are you watching the Michigan game because of the Lombardi thing? Uh, I mean, it's I'm Michigan State, Miami. Michigan for sure. No, oh. no, Matt. Here's Listen, I know that we you, that we're all Michigan fans in general here, but I'm all about intrigue. Michigan is 100% on the back burner on Saturday. It's a, whether it's a close game or not, Michigan State versus Miami, there's so much intrigue. I mean, the Miami program, whether or not they're quote unquote back or not, the history, Michigan State, Mel Tucker, really with a chance to establish themselves as like a legit pro, top 25 program for pretty much the rest of the season if they get this dub. I mean, that's the big storyline. I don't care about Rocky Lombardi. Listen, I will say, if Rocky Lombardi is going off against Michigan, that's must-watch TV. But is that going to happen? No. Yeah, both noon starts. 
So I, I'm undecided, but I'm leaning to starting off watching Michigan State and Miami. So, Matt, you're the go blue here. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be at work also, so I'm going to be in a room with so you can see multiples TVs or something. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I'll be able to watch them both. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it would definitely be heavy Michigan, but definitely commercial breaks. I'd be flipping over to Michigan State because, like I said, that game could be super entertaining. Or like, I feel like it could. It's either going to be like a classic. Or one of the other teams is going to run away with it. Yeah. You know, maybe Michigan State's not as good as we thought and Miami wins by 30, or the other way around. Well, Peyton Tucker Thor- goes down there and has these boys prepared, and Walker runs for 200 yards or something, and they just smoke Miami. You know, who knows? Yeah, it, w- it wouldn't shock me. I mean, we're still kind of waiting to see on Northwestern whether or not they're legit or not, and that'll help us maybe make more prediction with the Michigan State team. Uh, but one thing I want to touch, touch on college football before we move on uh, to NFL and other things. Oregon and Ohio State, one, let me just say, Coach mm. Cristobal, what a coach. Yeah. I mean, he's building Oregon to be one hell of a program like they were when Chip Kelly was there. And Oregon, just like you know, a Florida State or a Miami or a Michigan, college football is so much better when they're in the picture. Uh, so I love that. But one thing that's always depressing about when Ohio State loses is you see it like, oh, Oregon played Ohio State for the second time in the last like 30 years, and they just beat them. Meanwhile, we've been playing them, you know, every single year for the last 20 years, and the one time we've actually beat them was a year they were mixed with sanctions. So it's always funny when you see the teams that never, ever play Ohio State, yet they still beat them before we do. Yeah, I, I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I thought about that before, too. Like, we, we get a crack at them every year and, like, can't get lucky at least once. Like, one year you would think, we like, the ball would bounce our way or, you know, and JT Barrett would be short instead of getting that first down. And then Oregon gets them, and, and they beat them. But that was just a hell of a game. Like, if you were just a fan of college football, that was one of those you just, like, sit back and watch. But as far as Ohio State, like, I don't want to say it. We're only a couple weeks in. But, you know, they this like, it's one of those things, like, if this is a year for Michigan to, like, actually have a legit shot at winning the Big Ten, it sure looks like it's this year. Because, you know, you don't know about Penn State. They're either, you know, they, they look pretty good. Ohio State already looks, like, vulnerable, I guess. But who knows? By the end of the year, they might have it all figured out. But, yeah, I mean, they Ohio State, this definitely doesn't look like a classic Ohio State team, what we've seen the last 10, 15 years. Are they, we'll see how, how it plays out. Are they done no. with Myers recruits, or what? what's the story I there? Hear, I think it was Matt that was going back and forth with Ant Wright about this, saying how, oh, you know, Urban's recruits are finally gone. Look at Ryan Day. He sucks. <laughs> Listen, Ryan Day is not a fraud. I wish he was. I really wish he was, but he's not. I mean, he's 23-1 and one now in regular season games at Ohio State. It's, they're vulnerable. Uh, and the reason that I like that for Michigan is you look at where they're weak, their run defense mm-hmm. is horrible. Oregon ran all over them. Uh, Ibrahim and Minnesota ran all over them. And what does Michigan do well? We run the ball. And I just saw this past week that Jim Harbaugh has basically instituted this quote-unquote beat Ohio drill which is essentially seven players on offense, nine on defense, just running the ball every play. They break out the smelling salts. They break out the, the big like hip-hop music. So hearing stuff like that is what we've been telling Michigan to do for years because if you remember, uh, like three or four years ago, there would be storylines how Ohio State has had packages uh, for the Michigan game all year, and Michigan would basically be waltzing into that game without any like specific Ohio State prep. Uh, and so I'm just glad to see that we're starting to do a little bit of something to help with that game. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm not sure I like it being publicized. That's just it's just the karma thing in me, you know. Like you don't think Ohio State 
is listening to that saying, oh, well, we'll show them 9 on 11 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that went, that went straight to the bulletin board at Ohio State's practice facility. Oh, look at Michigan. They've got a beat Ohio drill. Okay, we'll, we'll show them. I just have to clarify. So I was going back and forth on Twitter about that. And the conversation was never Ryan Day's a fraud. It was just an interesting, like, factoid to think about. Well, you know, we're at the point where no more Urban Meyer recruits. Kind of like how, how it was with Brady Hoke, even though Brady Hoke did recruit well. His one good season was with Rich Rod's recruits. So it was kind of like once, once Brady Hoke's guys got in there, that's kind of when everything fell apart for him. So it wasn't that Ryan Day's a fraud, because I definitely don't think that. It was just like interesting to think, like, okay, we're kind of past Urban Meyer's players. Let's see what Ryan Day can do now. But, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not chalking up a Michigan win. It's cool to see the beat Ohio girl. Seems like they're focusing more on Ohio State because yeah, yeah. that's damn well better. Know, that's the one thing Harbaugh hasn't done: beat Ohio State. Amen. Well, you know, let's get into a, a little bit more college football. I mean, we we love college football and love talking college football. And there's a couple other stories out there we want to get into. I mean, USC didn't waste any time pulling the plug, huh? Now all you're seeing is all these possible candidates. James Franklin right at the front of the list. All of a sudden, what are your guys' thoughts on that? One thing that has always pissed me off, and, you know, I mean, we're all media members, I guess, but why are people asking Urban Meyer after one <laughs> NFL game, uh, like, hey, are you any interest in the USC job? Like, what are what, what do we expect to gain from that question? It just cracks me up that that's even like a storyline and that people are even throwing his name out there like he's going to be hired at USC next year. Dude, he's just getting started in the NFL. He's got at least two to three years on this NFL contract. He's not jumping ship after one year in a rebuilding team uh, to go coach USC. I I just hate that that is always like a storyline and that that question was even asked to him. I definitely get what you're saying, but if there's one person that it would make sense for it to happen, it would be Urban Meyer. Like That's why it is a story, because it's him. He's retired two or three times for health reasons, wanting to be with his family. Then all of a sudden he gets healthy and, you know, he's back on the field coaching again. I think that's why it's, like, interesting because it's him. I am kind of with you. It seems like he's going to at least be in Jacksonville for a year or two, see how Trevor Lawrence plays out, see, you know, kind of how, how it goes. But I, I do kind of agree, too, with what you said, like asking the question at press conferences. It is like I get why reporters ask it. You know, you almost have to, like, do your due diligence and ask him. But, like, what do you really think he's going to say? Even if in the back of his mind he's like, oh, that USC job is open, that sounds kind of cool, he's not going to say that. He's not, he's not going to say, like, one week into his NFL career, you know, yeah, that USC job, I do have some interest there. We'll see how it goes. He's not going to say that. Well, no. kind of like, why would you ask? But Yeah, because, you, you know, it, it, it's people like us in the sports media world to talk about it, to write about it, but <laughs> frankly – that's a stupid-ass question at a press conference. Come on. I think we're talking about it. Let's, let's call it like it is. That's ridiculous. That, that's, a hon, that's, a hondo, that's a Hondo Carpenter question. I get why they got to ask it. Like you said, everything you said is true, Matt, but still, Ted, I agree with you. It's a dumb-ass question. Yeah. Uh, but in yeah. terms of James Franklin, seemingly I just saw today that he has mutual interest, and so does USC and him going there. I hope he goes there. I mean, people like kind of go back and forth on whether or not he's a good coach or not. He has been Ohio State's biggest, quote-unquote, like villain or adversary uh, for the last five, six, seven, eight years, and that's worth something. So I'd be 100% 
thrilled if he decided to leave Penn State and get out of the Big Ten and go to the USC. And I think he would really win out there. I think James Franklin, he's won everywhere he's went. Vanderbilt hasn't won since he's been gone. Penn State, uh, he took him to another level. I think 100% he'd be a great hire for USC. He solidified Penn State for sure now. But, you know, what always cracks me up, and maybe you can answer this, I don't know the answer. You said Franklin has some interest. Did that come directly from him, or did that come from some insider? That's, that's what I wonder, too. And when the, I guess if you want to call it a report, that there's mutual interest, it's kind of similar to what we're saying about Urban Meyer. So did, like, did someone ask James Franklin, and did he say, you know, two weeks into this college football season, right. that he's interested in the USC job? So that, that's kind of where, like, when, when this starts to, like, take off, obviously you're talking about social media, Ted, when something like that comes out, you know it's going to, like, catch, like, wildfire, and everyone's going to start sharing the hell out of it. But that, that's kind of what I wonder, too. Like, did James Franklin say this? Like, did he tell a, a Penn State beat reporter, yeah, I'm interested in the USC job? Because it doesn't seem like that's what he would say two weeks into this season. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he just said, like, yeah, that sounds like a good job. But, you know, who knows what he right. said? I don't know. That, that's what I wondered, though. Where did that come from? Exactly. Well, stay tuned. College football is underway. And, I mean, we're only, what, two weeks into it, and we've got plenty to talk about. Uh, definitely our favorite time of the year. And we also like NFL football. We like the Lions, even though they're the Lions. We'll talk about that next, right after this. JJ's Excavating and Tree Services can help you with many homeowner items including skid steer work, footings, and gravel work along with property maintenance. JJ's Excavating and Tree Service also experts in tree removals including stump grinding. Fully insured, no job too big or too small. Call Kyle Jones of JJ's at 989-277-9059 to set up a free estimate and tell him 3 Point Podcast sent you. Nelson House Funeral Home's number one goal is to serve the families in our area. The Nelson House staff are proud to serve our local community with reliability, integrity, and compassion. Unique service representing unique lives, ensuring your loved ones receive the honor and celebration they deserve. Founded in 1880 and continuing the tradition today with chapels in Owasso, Chesanine, and New Lothrop. For more details, find them at nelson-house.com or call 989-723-5234. Let me just, I'll, I'll start the Lions off here because I have a quick thing to say. Ted, it cracked me up how you felt the need to record two different video messages uh, <laughs> about this game. Listen, I don't care whether they, quote-unquote, made it interesting at the end. It, it's funny how everyone's acting like that team didn't look like a complete dumpster fire uh, for three and a half quarters. Oh, and to add insult to injury, our number three draft pick from last year, who didn't really look that great during the game anyway, Jeff Okuda out for the season. There is nothing to circle about this team that says, that <clears throat> makes that makes you go. I can't wait to watch this team the rest of the year. Listen, I made it halfway through the first quarter before I was zonked, <laughs> and not the classic. You know, like we were talking about before. You know, fall asleep at halftime, wake up at the end of the fourth quarter. No, fell asleep, started the middle of the first quarter, did not wake up until an hour after the game. This team <laughs> is already a snooze fest. This team's already a dumpster fire. I can't say too much about Matt Campbell. We don't know. Uh, but, I, I mean, if you are one of those guys who are like, man, this is a great week one, you know, they kept it interesting. We did not keep it interesting. The 49ers fumbled, almost fumbled away the game. That was not us keeping it interesting. And if you think that's something we're going to be able to do week after week, no shot. I will 100% bet we're about to get blown out in week two. I, I, will, I will say I thought it was funny that after this game, it was all about 
the fight that the team showed. They, they never gave up. This is the Dan Campbell, like, uh, mindset coming in. But, like, we, we've watched Matt Stafford's whole career. They would get down almost every week, and Stafford would bring them back. And a lot of times that wasn't the headline, that they fought back. This team has fight. It was mostly that, like, you know, the team always falls behind, they're unprepared, or, you know, whatever it was. So I did kind of think that was interesting. Maybe, you know, people were trying to hype up Dan Campbell, you know, like he kept the team fighting or whatever. But I'm kind of with you, Jared. I mean, I said it, I've said it the last few weeks. This is like one of the first seasons in a long time. I've had like absolutely no expectations, maybe because I was always excited for Stafford. He's like one of my favorite players, one of my favorite Lions players ever. So like at least he was there to keep me interested. You know, I wanted to watch Matt Stafford and, you know, like then Megatron and stuff. This team, I honestly like what? TJ Hawkinson, I guess. You know, a, a tight end gets you kind of excited because he does. He looks like he is a very good player. Otherwise, I mean, the run game looked okay. Swift and William, it kind of looked like a pretty good one-two punch. Um, you know, like I said, Hawkinson, a couple of the receivers, you know, maybe looked okay. But, you know, I, that's what I mean. Like, there's just nothing about this team that, like, I'm going to watch. I, I'm, I'm going to watch every week. I, I pay for the Sunday ticket because, you know, obviously local channels down here don't show the Lions. So, you know, I pay for the Sunday ticket so I can watch the Lions every week. But, man, I, I'm with you, Jared. Like, I'm sitting there watching on Sunday, and I'm just like, God, dude, what, like, what am I doing? Like, I, like this is boring. Yeah, they, they made it interesting and fought back. But you know how it was going to end. It was it, a Lions game. Oh, 100%. Of course they didn't complete the comeback. Right. <laughs> you know, and again, just back to my double video. The first one I recorded was 41-17, to 17, they were down. And pretty much the game was over, right? So I called it like I saw it. I said, this is not a very good team. I felt the need, though, after watching the last four minutes, that was about four minutes of the most entertaining Lions football I have seen in a long time. And it just, I did not, I did not say when I did the second recording, this is a good team, but I did say (laughs) they didn't quit and they didn't, they kept fighting back in one of those strange situations where they actually got the ball back because of a fumble caused by Trey Flowers, and had a chance to actually tie the game. They had the ball in their hands, and you know maybe back in the past, Stafford would have got him down for a touchdown. Goff did come up short, three straight incompletions to end the game, but that, that end of the game was as good as I've seen in a while. It was fun to watch. Now, I want to jump right back in on the Akuta thing. And we've talked about it ad nauseum here on this podcast. And I I feel bad for the dude that he blew out his Achilles. You know, wouldn't wish that on anybody. I think, you know, that helped probably speed up his exit from Detroit. But that was a completely botched number three pick, and we all agree on that. Now, Jared and I maybe disagree on one thing. He wanted to go with the quarterback route this season. I think they made the right move with Sewell, and I think they'd be really stupid to try and move him from the left side now. With that being said, in hindsight, it's always it's always 2020, but I still think instead of Akuda, they should have drafted Tua, had him play behind Stafford a year. They still could have traded Stafford and got the draft choices and maybe somebody else other than Jared Goff. And look, we'd be that much further ahead, wouldn't we? It's a never-ending cycle with these Lions. I mean, the fact that we decided, like you said, the perfect way to do it is have the veteran quarterback, you know, give it a year and then hand over the reins. It seems like we're kind of in this hamster wheel where we're basically going to be shipping Jared Goff uh, as soon as we draft another quarterback. Right. I mean, we know, we know 
you can, you can trick yourself, Ted, because Jared Goff has a couple of garbage time touchdowns. Uh, listen, he's not the quarterback of the future. We all know that. Um, so the fact that we just keep delaying the inevitable and not start taking and not taking these swings on a quarterback, it, it's beyond me. And it would not shock me if we don't draft a quarterback next year either. Uh, which is just the wrong move in my book. But the thing that cracks me about the Sewell thing, and it's already starting to annoy me, <laughs> is it's like after the game, there are people who are like, you know, like you guys who are so dead set that we need to take this offensive lineman uh, with the number five draft pick when we're probably not going to be that high ever again. Uh, it's funny how it's like after one game, like everyone's acting like we're so validated because his like pro football focus, like advanced analytics run blocking was top 10 for left tackles like week one. It's like the most random, like, obscure stats that people will run with and act like this guy's already like a home run uh, lineman. I think he was good. You know, he didn't jump off the screen and making a ton of mistakes watching the highlights and all that sort of stuff to me. But it's at the end of the day, dude, it's a lineman. I mean, stop getting, stop getting off to this lineman. He's only a quote-unquote lineman. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're, that's not, I'm not going to watch the Lions who watch the offensive line, but we, we also know that the Lions haven't had a dominant offensive line in a really long time. So, you know, that, that's something to build around. I think, like, to me, yeah, the, the pro football focus stuff, like the analytics is interesting. It's cool to see. But hearing Nick Bosa – the 49ers defensive end, who's one of the best defensive ends in the league, say that this kid's the real deal. Like, Sewell's only 20. Right. I think some people forget about that. He's only 20 years old. And Nick Bosa said, like, this dude's going to be – he's going to be one of the best in the league. So, like, I like I take more into that. Like, hearing a defensive end right. say this guy, 20-year-old rookie, was, like, holding his own against me, I look more into that than, you know, the analytics. But, you know, I, I just – the, the Akuda thing, yep, I, I, we've all said it. Like, he might have ended up being a good player. You know, the injury does suck. But taking him at number three Ridiculous. was just such a bad move. Like, even if Mel Kuyper and everyone was saying this is the best corner in the league since Deion Sanders or in the NFL draft since Deion Sanders, I don't care. You can't take him at number three. And, of course, he ruptures his Achilles, and that, that's a bad injury. That might ruin his career. So just another Lions draft pick, just blown. Yeah, and again – I'm not going to say Sewell's the savior of the world, but I'll tell you what. The Lions, they blew it two years ago, not last year in my opinion. Yeah, they sure, they could have taken a quarterback last year. Then there's nobody to block for him, you know. If- I, tell you, I don't know about you guys, but it was kind of eye-opening, and it sucks rebuilding. And I don't know, just looking at this defense and the fact that we really don't have any wide receivers that are legit, quarterbacks still a big question mark, running backs are honestly smart we got a long way to go with this team, and it's just depressing when we're, we're, we're staring down the barrel of probably a five-year rebuild. We and are. It seems like we've been in the midst of a rebuild the last, like, 20 years. So it's just depressing it. I was, looking at it from that No, I, I, was, I was thinking the same thing, Jared, when um, I wasn't watching the Jaguars game, but when the Jaguars were playing, I was think, kind of think, thinking the same thing. Like, when you look at this rebuild for the Lions, like, what, what right now are you building around? Like, I, I really have no idea. Maybe the offensive line. Maybe you're going to hang your hat on that the line is going to be really good. And I'll think about the Jaguars. They've been, you know, rebuilding or whatever. And look at them. They get Trevor Lawrence. So, like, you can hang your hat on, you know, you've got Trevor Lawrence, who in theory is going to be a, your quarterback for the next 10, 15 years. I, like, with the Lions, I have no idea. Like, say if they would have drafted Tua, not saying Tua is going to be, like, great, but at least you could be, like, building around that. I have no idea because it's not Jared Goff. I mean, maybe you're going to 
try and draft a quarterback next year or something. But yeah, well, I, I don't know. Yeah, just I, think, I don't know where this Lions team goes. Just think, they could have Tua. They could have Sewell, and I think right now the offensive line is probably the least of their concerns. Probably the offensive line in the punting game, right? That's about all you can say. Defense completely stinks. Um, you know, no wide receivers currently. The running backs, eh, fair to Midland. You know, they're okay. But, Jared, and you guys are right. This is a four- or five-year rebuilding process. I do think Dan Campbell, I think he's going to be all right. And I, 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 would, I looked it up before I came in. I don't have the list of all the assistant coaches. I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure I got the name right, Aubrey Pleasant, you know, who got in Akuta's face, which got a lot of publicity. And, you know, then he patted him on the back a little later on as well. And he's a Montrose guy, you know. But you look at the Lions coaching staff and, and just go down the list they have some pretty damn good former players that played in the NFL, and I think Campbell's got a pretty good staff together. It looks like Brad Holmes is a legit general manager, and you know if we have to suffer through a four- or five-year rebuild, so be it, as long as they're making damn good draft choices. And, and I think that's where it's the, all at. I guess, sorry to cut you off, but here's the problem. If this is a five-year rebuild, the way the NFL works, these coaches aren't going to be around for when this team is finally good. And that's, I guess, what's depressing is, man, Patricia really put us in a hole because he did. I wish that Campbell would have taken over when Patricia took over because there's actually something to work with. But Patricia left these cut the cupboard just totally bare. Yep. And I hate to say it, but there's if this team looks this way for two, three years, I mean, the fans are going to turn on Campbell whether he deserves it or not, and he's going to be out of here before we can even see whether he's got the got what it takes or not. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Let's say they go five wins this year, right? And they get a decent draft pick again. And and maybe they can make some off-season moves with free agents or whatever, or trades even. They don't do trades as much, but some off-season moves with some free agents. Five wins, and then next year, okay, they sniff seven, eight wins. You think Campbell will be really on the hot seat if they show some progress year in and year out in this rebuilding process? I feel like they, they wouldn't have hired him. If they didn't, if they weren't going to give him a look, at least three years, you know, hopefully four or five, right? Because you're not hiring like Jim Caldwell. I feel like kind of had like kind of a shorter leash. He was a proven coach. If it wasn't going to work with him in like two or three years, you kind of knew what you were getting. I know we all think that they probably shouldn't have fired him, but you know, like he was a proven coach. I feel like you hire Dan Campbell, and knowing the situation, like you said, Jared, like the cupboard is pretty bare. You you have to give him at least three years and. You know, after three years, we can almost say this year is probably a wash. Tank. After three full seasons, if if it's clear and evident that like this is going nowhere, maybe you start questioning things. But I mean, yeah, with how bad this team is, how far Bob Quinn and Patricia set them back, it'd be almost like unfair to bail on the guy after two or three years. I know, I know it'd be unfair, but I, I just. That's- I mean, the NFL churns through coaches faster than anyone. It's crazy how coaches are really never even given a shot uh, before they're fired. So, I mean, whether it's fair or not, I, I just think that that's the way. The only way that he's going to be able to extend his coaching tenure is to draft a rookie quarter rookie quarterback, you know, either next year or the year after that. That's just kind of the way the business works. I mean, look at Matt Nagy. He's kind of done it perfectly where he maybe should have been fired two, three years ago, but he's kind of played the game perfectly to just – Stay alive and stay as the Bears head coach. It's crazy. Well, Lions have the Packers Monday night football next week. Aaron Rodgers coming off a scintillating three-point performance. 
Uh, Lions are in real trouble in that game, aren't they? I I would think so. It's just the only team that maybe had a worse week one, other than the Lions, was the Packers. I mean, good God. It's funny to me how, and I tweeted this out, that you know Aaron Rodgers essentially just, you guys were on the side of uh, Rodgers during the whole thing. I was always on the side of the franchise, like, why the heck are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, basically, Rodgers emasculated the entire franchise, and this whole like fallout is now carried into the season, and you're seeing it on the field. Aaron Rodgers <laughs> talks about how you know he doesn't need the offseason, doesn't need this, that. He's in Hawaii this day. He's doing Jeopardy the next day. And it showed. I mean, three freaking points. He played horrible. Two pit, two picks. Uh, and of course, it just carries on into the post game presser where he kind of just goes out and continues shitting on the entire situation. So I just, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts as the guys who were Rogers stands uh, throughout the whole offseason. <laughs> whereas I look at somebody like Russell Wilson, who same exact problem. And Colin Coward has said this same exact problem. Guess what? He had that buttoned up in two weeks and was ready to play week one. And who looked damn good week one? Russell Wilson. Who looked horrendous? Aaron Rodgers, the guy who carried it all through off the offseason, all through fall camp. And this is what you're seeing now. Just a team that has no shot at a Super Bowl in my book. Uh, and yet they just totally got embarrassed by Aaron Rodgers and they have nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. Yeah, I think even though, you know, we all, I mean, we're not Packers fans, but I think NFL fans can appreciate, like, an organization like the Packers. They're very different than Seattle and, you know, like Pete Carroll. Russell Wilson has basically gotten anything he wants, you know, out in Seattle, and Pete Carroll's been an awesome coach for him. So I think it's a little bit of a different situation out there. But, I I mean, I do get what you're saying. It does seem like Rodgers kind of, like, played them like a fiddle almost. And I almost feel like he was, like, maybe trying to prove a point last Sunday. But, I mean, maybe not. I don't don't know if you'd want to do that in an NFL game. It's it's one week. I mean, I'm not going to – I'm not going to bail on Aaron Rodgers, who was just the NFL MVP last year, and say that, you know, like he's washed up or anything like that. But it, it's the perfect storm of he's coming off that game and everyone's ripping him, saying everything like what you're saying, Jared. And now they're at Lambeau Field on Monday night against the Lions, who just lost, you know, even if he's not that great, lost their best corner. So I, I fully expect Rodgers to throw for like 350 yards, three or four touchdowns. Just make the lines look terrible. <laughs> yep. Oh, for this week and for Jared's comment there, I can't argue, buddy. I mean, you, you you called it, but I do also agree with Matt. Aaron Rodgers, after one week, I'm not I'm not shutting the door on him. You know, I I think we're going to see some improvement. Are they a Super Bowl team? Mm, a lot of ways to go to get that far, but uh, I think I think he'll still put up some big numbers this season, starting with Monday night against the Lions. Now, speaking of Monday night, guys, there's been a lot of debate uh, or a lot of talk about uh, ESPN2's uh, broadcast team of Eli and Peyton Manning, and I got comments on it for sure, but what, what, what are your guys' thoughts? It's cool. I, I love Peyton Manning. I love Eli Manning. This is maybe dumb, and maybe it wouldn't be possible, but I just wish they were together. I wish that I, I kind of, when this whole thing was getting described to me and pitched, and I saw it on Twitter leading up to this game, I was under the impression that they were going to be, like, at the game in a broadcast booth, you know, like right next door to the regular Monday Night Football broadcast team. But now that I've kind of, like, realized that's not what it's going to be, I still love it. I mean, the best part of that show is, Ted, I think it was you that tweeted it, it's when they're just kind of shooting the shit. Yep. Uh, when Eli's out there predicting plays, when they bring on guys like Charles Barkley and they're laughing back and forth. I mean, Peyton Manning, he's entertaining as hell, so I- I'm always going to be tuned into whatever he's doing. 
No, I, I'm definitely right on board. I, I watched most of the game. I watched on ESPN two. I know I tweeted out too. I, I'm one of. I think I'm one of the very few. I like the Monday Night Crew of Brian Greasy, Steve Levy, and Lewis Riddick. I like all three of those guys. So I, I like watching them call the game. If it was, so I'm trying to think like Monday Night with the Lions. I feel like I might watch the traditional broadcast a little more because like I actually want to watch the game. Whereas when I'm watching the Peyton Manning, Eli Manning broadcast, you know, you're almost kind of just like listening to them, like you said, shoot the shit and, you know, kind of like mess around a little bit. But honestly, I I thought it was amazing. I kind of, I like that they're like in the studio, you know, they're not in a booth at the stadium. It would be cool if they were able to be together, like in the same studio, so they could be like on the same couch, you know, joking around with each other or whatever. That would be cool. But no, like I, I think those two are just obviously so good on TV, super entertaining. The, the guests that they brought in, like when they had Ray Lewis on, that was like some of the most interesting stuff like during a game, hearing Ray Lewis talk about what the defense is doing, and then Peyton and Eli would talk about like what the quarterbacks are calling out, and Ray Lewis would talk about what kind of defense you're supposed to do, what the linebackers are supposed to do. Like when, when you're sitting there watching a game that you kind of are just like sitting back to enjoy it, that was some of the best like entertainment watching a game in a long time. So I think it's definitely something – that's going to continue to evolve. You know, they're going to probably figure some other stuff out, but I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, and it's part of the ESPN property, so you you can't say nothing bad about it, right, Matt? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, if I didn't like it, I would say that. I'm no, like, no, I know. But I, what I'm, I guess what I meant was I agree with you. The regular Monday night crew is very good, right? I mean, they're, they're legit broadcasters that bring a lot to the game, no doubt about it. But I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm an old guy, as I've always said, I think the Manning thing is absolutely brilliant. I, I My wife and I both were just tuned into it, watching it, and laughing our asses off. I mean, I think that kind of goes back to what Monday Night Football started out at. It was an event. You know, you had to have some entertainment value, not just the game. I mean, when it started, you know, you had Howard Cosell, you had Don Meredith, you had Frank Gifford. The the banter between those three, that made the Monday night games what it was. And taking nothing away from the regular crew, I, I think ESPN has stumbled onto something that is just astounding. And I think, like you said, make a few tweaks to it, but I think that is must-see TV every Monday. I'm going to be watching Manning's every time they're on, including next week if they're on. I think they only had a 10-game commitment, I believe. Yeah, they're not doing every game. I I wonder if it was kind of like they wanted to test it out before they commit to a 17-game, you know, season because I'm sure they're paying they're paying those, you know, the Manning brothers a decent chunk of change, but no, I I think like I'm I'm right with you. I think this is something people who are like what's the word? Like just like casual NFL fans, you know, if, if their team isn't playing, this is something that you would say like yeah, I'll watch this. Like, maybe normally I wouldn't watch this, but, oh, I hear that Charles Barkley is going to be one of their guests. Or, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey was on with them. Yeah. If you're a Chiefs fan and you're like, oh, cool, Travis Kelsey is going to be on with uh, the Manning brothers, I'll watch that. That's exactly what it's going to be. And, I mean, the, the Manning brothers are just so funny and just like, I don't know, they're, they're, you just like are entertained when you watch them like mess around and also – super insightful you know like they they know the game inside and out so like when you listen to them breaking it down it's super interesting so i'll I'll be honest though i thought jared was going to hate it i I honestly thought jared was going to say it was trash (laughs) no i i I, hate manning can do just about anything we we talked about this before with like the golf 
matches, how the ones that he's involved in were, were the best ones. He, he's hilarious. He's a, he's an entertainer. And Eli Manning just kind of, I don't know how, he's just like sort of unintentionally funny. Uh, and he has to do it. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that I'm going to watch the entire game, uh, but, you know, tuning it on here when they have the guests on, like you said, that the extra, like, entertainment value, uh, I'm here for it. I don't need the play-by-play of the Monday Night Football game in the first, second, or third quarter. Now, if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, then maybe I'll change it to the regular broadcast, but I don't need that for the first three quarters. Yeah, that was good stuff for sure, and, and uh, I'll be definitely watching more of it. I, and, you know, like I said, when the Manning brothers are going after each other, like uh, Eli was dogging on Peyton for his high forehead when he put that small helmet on and, and then talking about nobody wanted to put any lotion on your uh, back knee, <laughs> I mean, it just had me right. laughing out loud. Uh, they're good, and they, they obviously, like, I can't imagine what it'd be like being the producer for that because – you almost just like let them go, right? I mean, I mean that's kind of you don't really have to do much, you know. That you have the game that they're going to talk about. Other than that, you just kind of let them do their thing. So yeah, it, it's really cool. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, guys, that's I guess enough on NFL. We'll wrap this thing up with a short segment on entertainment coming out of this break. Great news to report. Sheridan Realty and Auction Company has built a new 7,500-square-foot warehouse in Owasso. Now we are able to take all of your items and put it underneath one roof. Whether you are able to bring us a vehicle, an ATV, furniture, it goes inside. Go to SheridanAuctionService.com to see more. More importantly, stop down and see us at 1007 South Washington Street. You'll do better with Sheridan. All right, Matt, I don't have a whole heck of a lot here on Tedertainment. I'm going to let you kind of take over this first segment, talking about the new 30 for 30 on the 86 Mets. I know you had a chance to watch the first couple episodes. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, tell me why maybe why I should watch it. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, it's a 30 for 30, so I, I think those hit every time. So any, almost any time you see a new 30 for 30 coming out, you know it's going to be good. And then when it's, like, on a topic or an athlete or a team that is super interesting, like the 86 Mets, then it just, like, takes it to another level. And, you know, I, I, I tweeted it out that, you know, from our three-point pod page that this has to be, like, right up your alley, Ted, because it's, it's early, 80s, early 80s to mid-80s New York Mets. And if you don't know, like, a lot of their story with Daryl Strawberry and Keith Fernandez and Lenny Dykstra and all those guys, it's worth – looking up a couple articles and seeing what that was all about. And Doc Gooden, you know, when he came into the league as like a 19-year-old, and they're in New York City, and just everything that goes with it, and it being the 80s, you know, in in New York City and the U.S., like there is just so much, like so many interesting storylines around this that I was just thinking, like, when I see Keith Fernandez playing with that mustache, (laughs) I was like, that's Ted. Like, that's like – I, I can't imagine, like, because, you know, obviously I wasn't around. I mean, I was born in 84, but I don't remember any of that, obviously. Like, I feel like watching that for the people who were baseball fans and lived in the 80s, I, it, it took people straight back to that era because, you know, 30s for 30s are always so well done with the music and all the video and everything they do. And just, like, they had all the players. And Davey Johnson, the manager, they had all the players interviewing. And they weren't, they weren't censoring anything. I mean, maybe they were censoring a little bit. But they were, like, letting it all out. So if you're a baseball fan, and especially in the 80s, you know, with, with the Mets when they were winning that World Series and stuff, I mean, this, it's must-watch TV. Like, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. The 
two parts aired. I'm pretty sure it's three parts. Two parts aired, so I'm not sure when the third one does. But anyway, it, it's probably you know it's gonna be on demand and all that stuff. So three point pod scale. I haven't even finished it yet. It's it's an easy three out of three. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, those like 1970s and 1980s like baseball stories, I, they could fill up a Bible, uh, this, like a book the size of a Bible. It's crazy. The drugs, the, the characters, the afros, everything about 1970, the jerseys, uh, the old school stadiums. I'm here for it. I love it. It's why I love the super 70s like sports oh. uh, Twitter account because it's just filled with that type of stuff. Uh, and it's just these crazy stories, like you said, the New York Mets, like 1986. That's one. Uh, that's a drop in the hundreds of stories you could tell about sports and baseball specifically during that time. 100%, Jared, agree with you. Uh, and speaking of that 70s Twitter site, I tried to reach out to the, the guy that, that runs that a couple times, and I might do it again because it would be really interesting to see where he comes up with this stuff. But, you know, you talk about baseball and some of these uh, stories from the different teams in different eras. You know, I, I just came to my mind, you know, I'm thinking about in the 60s, the Yankees, you know, uh, Mickey Mantle and uh, uh, that whole bunch, you know, and how they used to like to party it up. And Jim Bouton ran wrote a, a, a tell-all book that was scandalous, I think, about the late 60s Yankees teams and what went on as far as you know, drugs and, and women and everything else. So you got the Yankees of the late 60s. Then you go to the 70s, and you had the Oakland A's. You know, they were the wild bunch. They were the first team in baseball to wear the, the crazy colored uniforms, and they all wore, they all had mustaches and long hair. You know, and I'm sure that it was just crazy, the story around that team. But this 80s Mets documentary that I definitely want to see it big time because it was kind of in kind of the sweet spot of my life you know when I was playing ball and and here's this team and you know and and you look at it like a slice of Americana what was going on then you know I'm sure the the film and you see these guys and their different hairstyles like with the mullets and the mustaches that's what it was like then you know so and the drugs and all that stuff that goes along with it so I'm really looking forward to it sounds like uh, high praise with a three out of three and you still got one to watch yeah and it, i would be 30 for 30 they're always done i've already said it 10 times but they're always very well done i'd be curious to see like if this was done on hbo or something or like showtime mm-hmm. and like it was really uncensored because this is pretty close i mean they're they weren't they weren't holding back much especially you know if you know anything about lenny dykstra and daryl strawberry oh, yeah. i mean these dudes they weren't holding back much and got good and they were they were telling basically everything that was going on during those days. So I can't imagine what it'd be like if they could like take it to the next level and really tell everything. But no, just just like super interesting. And then I've, just the story of the Mets, how they stunk for so long, and then they kind of built a team. They drafted some good players, made some good trades. Um, basically, like took over New York City. Like just just super cool. Yeah, and I think highly you, recommend it. And I think you said the manager Davy Johnson just said or shook his head and said, "Hey boys, do what you got to do. Just go out there and play ball, right?" Yeah, I mean, he basically, I mean, they when they were telling all the debauchery that they would go through, staying out at the clubs and the bars until 4, 5, 6 in the morning when they had a doubleheader the next day, <laughs> um, you know, doing stuff like during the game down in the clubhouse and everything. David Johnson, yeah, the manager basically said, like, as long as you show up to work, as long as you're here to play and I can rely on you for that, like, I'm cool with it. It was kind of like I said it earlier but when before we started recording. It's kind of like Phil Jackson, how he talked about with Dennis Rodman. If you knew what you were getting with Dennis Rodman, you kind of let him do his thing. As long as he showed up to work, you're cool with it. And that's basically what, what was going on with the Mets. So really, really interesting. Right. Well, looking forward to it. Also, um, 
you know, we we're coming off 9-11's 20th anniversary, and there was a lot of different uh, documentaries on a lot of the different channels. But one I'll just highly recommend if you if you're interested in maybe some uh, unseen footage because there's a lot of unseen footage uh, on National Geographic. There was a, the show called 9-11, One Day in America, and it started at about 6 o'clock in the morning on 9-11 with some radio broadcast. What a beautiful day it was. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, that was the day Michael Jordan announced he's coming back to play basketball for the Bulls. That was the headline story at 6 a.m. on New York's one of New York's radio stations, and boy, that changed in a hurry. And this documentary told a bunch of different stories that I had never heard before that were just, uh, it makes the hair stand up on my arms just talking about it right now. So if you want to see really, I think, the best documentary on 9-11, One Day in America, National Geographic, it was tremendously done. I did actually watch that too, and I did you? I basically echo everything you said. It was I mean, we've all kind of seen different video, different stories or documentaries, but yeah, I, I hadn't seen any of this stuff. So well, you got to think. Like, I, w- I was thinking while I was watching it, as as often as we're seeing like new footage and, and you know new stories, there's probably even more that hasn't been told, more video or more pictures or whatever that people are maybe still holding on to. So yeah, but that 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 documentary on, on National Geographic, very very good too. Yeah, I'll just tell one story that really is it's chilling that uh, this guy, one of the survivors of one of the towers, was helping this lady who was severely burned, and she thought she was going to die. She says, am I dying? Am I dying? He said, no, I'm, I'll stay with you. I'll stay with you. And, you know, th- he got her out of the building, and they were sitting against another building, and she, she was kind of failing, right? And he said, well, let's say the Lord's Prayer. And, he, and they're doing the Lord's Prayer, and at that moment, they're halfway through the prayer, plane number two crashed into the building, okay? And come to find out, to tie this all up, I guess it's a spoiler alert, but it just kind of tell you what this documentary was like. Come to find out, his, do- his uh, sister was on the plane that crashed. They're, he's saying the Lord's Prayer with this lady. His sister dies at that moment. Now, how amazing is that? Pretty crazy. I mean, that just grabs you. And speaking of death, as I segue to another topic before we wrap this up, <laughs> uh, sad story about Norm McDonald, man. Uh, you saw me tweet a few things and retweet a few things. This guy, he was one of my all-time favorite comedians. I just loved his delivery. I mean, he was classic on Saturday Night Live. He had balls as big as a basketball. I mean, he's he's doing Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. And at the time, the producer of the program was Don Olmeyer, who was best buddies with O.J. Simpson. He told McDonald no more jokes about O.J. on Weekend Update. McDonald didn't listen to it a bit, told some more jokes, lost his job on SNL. He didn't care. He was going to tell comedy the way he saw it. And uh, highly respected by pretty much everybody in the comedy community. And it's sad to see that he's gone. And I guess... In, you know, he kept it kind of quiet for eight or nine years. He was battling cancer, but he was classic. Yeah, I didn't even know that he was battling cancer. It came out of left field. Yeah, seeing that he passed away. Uh, but like everything he said, I mean, just a legend, flat out legend. He cracked me up. I mean, he was. I still think he was the funniest guy. Him and I don't remember who his like buddy was in uh, Billy Madison, but whenever they were on the screen, it always cracked me up. <laughs> uh, but 
kind of what you said is he seems like he's like the comic comic where he's every comedian's favorite comic and i think that's just the ultimate compliment you can pay to somebody is just when people who are in your craft think you're the best at it that's when you know you're damn good yeah yeah i mean obviously everyone's been sharing clips conan o'brien like he, he was on the conan o'brien show a ton every clip of him on that show is hilarious Every clip of him on, you know, obviously all of his SNL stuff when he was on Letterman, you know, he was always hilarious. I mean, I, I can't say I, I know, like, much of his, like, stand-up, but whenever he was in movies or SNL or on, like, those late-night shows, always hilarious. So, yeah, it was definitely definitely sad to hear that. Yeah, and tying into the ESPN thing, I mean, he uh, he had, he had was relentless at the ESPYs on uh, – his monologue one year that was just hilarious, man. There was a lot of uncomfortable athletes in the stands that day. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd be curious if they would. I mean, obviously they can't now, but like if they would have hired him now to do that, because you know, obviously can't get away with as much nowadays as he used to be able to. Because yeah, when you go back and watch his monologue during the ESPYs, there's probably a lot of stuff that they wouldn't want to be said nowadays. But right, <laughs> like like you said, he didn't care. He was gonna. If you hired me to do this, I'm gonna do it my way. Yeah, um, yep. that says it all about Norm McDonald. Hey, if you ever want to watch a good clip, I haven't seen it uh, sent out there much, but he does a does a comedy bit about Bob Euchre when he met him one time. That is about as funny as you'll ever hear. I think you could probably find that somewhere on YouTube. All right, guys, that takes care of entertainment tonight, and I think we've got another pretty decent podcast in. Uh, the can here so to speak anything else you want to get on the table before we wrap this up i guess we're good so we'll call it a wrap make sure you follow us at three point pod let our partners know you listen in they include advanced elevator the als association jj's excavating and tree service kendall drugs in corona rivals tap house and grill nelson house funeral homes shared an auction service success group mortgage and servicing and z92.5 the castle i'll be live on z92.5 this coming friday september 17th for the castle game of the week lansing eastern at st john's for jared fatel and matt burns i'm ted fatel saying until next time so long everyone and enjoy uh, the rest of your week Hey gang, please consider a donation to the ALS Association Michigan Chapter, serving people with ALS and their families since 1988. There still is no cure for Lou Gehrig's disease, and every 90 minutes, someone is diagnosed with ALS. For more details, go online at webmi.alsa.org. Point Podcast is syndicated worldwide on Sports Radio Detroit and MWSN Radio. The show is a Sportsnet Michigan production recorded at the WJSZ Mid-Michigan Studios. Spread the word to your friends and family and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or any of the other big podcast hosting sites. Comments and questions can be sent via social media at 3PointPod or by email to 3PointPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye for now.